0: Hello and welcome to Goblet of Wine, a drunken Harry Potter podcast. I'm Charlie. And I'm Hannah. And we're two 20-somethings rereading our favourite childhood book, but this time with added alcohol and cynicism. In today's episode, we're going to be chatting about chapters 31 and 32 of Goblet of Fire. That was the closest I've come. Oh, you were very <laughs> close there. Imagine if I had to take a shot just before In we left. the intro. <laughs> when we have no other episodes to record. So grab a glass of your favourite alcoholic beverage and join us on this reminiscent journey. Ooh. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode fifty. How have we done this 50 times? That's a lot of times. Why have we done this 50 times? Why did we not realise sooner that we should stop? We always joked that we wouldn't get past like 10 and here we are at 50 uh, episodes. We wouldn't get past one. Yeah. But here we 50. are. And, and What does this say about you guys? Okay. If you're listening, you've listened to 50 episodes. And each of our episodes are like an hour long. So you've listened to over two days. Of our voices. So let that sink in for a moment. What does that say about you? Yeah. It says Mm. you're great, cool, hi, welcome back. We were meant to record this immediately after the previous episode, but uh, we basically had heat stroke after that one, so we've come back. It's cooler in the UK. We can record now. No, I literally passed out. Like, I got home and then passed out and then woke up in the morning and just had to text Hannah like... So I've been asleep. <laughs> it was so my hard. My light guys. was on, my window was open, I was fully dressed. <laughs> Yeah, no, we had to just give up last time. So here we are back again with episode 50. And first, we have two of our favourite reviews to read out. As you guys know, we now just read out our favourite reviews. My review, my favourite review of this week is from Darth Plagueis 22 who says, We're truly the best way to re-experience your childhood. Two lovely ladies that I've never been more desperate to be friends with. Thanks. And then they say, this is my favourite part, My true rating is higher than Harry's of Sirius Black. Oh. And that's seriously incredible. Pew pew pew. That's so good. That's very punny. It also is saying a lot because Harry is Harry is ten out of ten in love with Sirius. So thank you so much, Death Plagueist Twenty Two. And my favourite review goes to Office OfficeCacklin92 who says Justice for Ali Bashir Woo! Woo! Make a hashtag uh, Get that shit trending uh, I love Hannah <laughs> Hannah and Charlie's sense of humour I thought I was just going to say I love Hannah and I no. really hope that was what you were going to read oh. No, sorry, oh. not just about you And Charlie's sense of humour, love of different Book versions, travel logistics and British geography. As an American I also Really enjoy it when they drag us as a country Which we deserve. Yes you fucking do Thank you for listing all our niches Yeah. They're weird when you list them out. Uh Uh-huh. We also have fabulous new patrons to welcome to the family. So a ginormous thank you to Mike. A humongous thank you to Moissa. If I've not said that correctly, please do let me know. There's also a very tiny chance that it could have a typo in because I typed it out on my broken laptop. It could be a typo. (laughs) A huge thank you to Amy. A massive thank you to Julia. A larger than life thank you to Caitlin. An engorged thank you to Erin. A turgid thank you to Tanya. Oh, that was good. That was very turgid good. for Tanya. Absolutely huge thank you to Anna. And a mahoosive thank you to Mia. Thank you all so much for joining Team Patreon. They now have access to our bonus episodes. We just recorded another advice-giving episode and it was funny. And we also just read out our third submission of Arminian Wood fan fiction. And it was a cottage core themed fan fiction if you want to hear that shit you have to go to our patreon they also get access to our discord they also get they're the people who we answer questions at the end of the episode they choose our alcohol they control our lives they have frogs on discord i don't know what's happening but yes if you want to join the frog cult click the link in the bio move, move. anyway anyway, what uh, are we drinking today we are drinking oh fuck what's it called it's the cup, which is a throwback to our first ever episode oh cute that's uh, cute for number 50 yeah but like in the first one it was I remember they'd done the Swedish flag but made it was it red they made it red so it looked like the yeah the da- Danish, Danish flag, flag. yeah uh, because it was the Swedish flag but then they wanted it, it to be aesthetic with the bottle but just made it a different flag And then on this one, it's white because the whole thing is like pink and white. So it's just like, literally, you can't just take a country's flag and and change change colour for the aesthetics. But this is rosé vodka. So it's like rosé wine infused vodka and we've mixed it with lemonade. So let's try. Clink. It's not as sweet as I was expecting. It's actually really fucking nice. I don't know what I'm tasting. It's not as strong as I was expecting. No, Maybe I should have put more in here. It's thirty percent though, so it's like not a liqueur, not a spirit. It's halfway in between. That's really nice. And can you imagine this how nice this would be on a hot day? It's quite refreshing. I do actually quite like this. It's really weird. Like I taste lemonade and there's something else, but it's Maybe yeah. we should have made it stronger, but Is it weird liking an alcohol? Is this the first time we've liked an alcohol on the podcast for a while? Yeah. I don't remember. I can't remember what we drink is the issue. I mean, I think the alcohol last week killed us. It it literally almost killed me. Oh, and by the way, it was one of the first times we've never finished our alcohol. Just, we never finished it. And then me and Neil, like after Charlie had left, mixed our two half glasses together into one glass, put it in the back of the fridge and we were like, oh, we'll mix it with something and drink it tomorrow. And then never came back to it because it's deadly strong. Yeah. I still think you should drink it. It's now two weeks old and probably full of fridge germs. Drink it. Drink Drink it. it. Drink it. Drink it. it. Anyway, Harry Potter, chapter 31. The the third task. task. I can't fathom that we're still just here. What do you mean? I don't know why. It just seems to be really drawn out at this point. I don't think it does. I feel like it was really drawn out in prep for the first tasks and then it went quite fast from there. Yeah. So Harry and Hermione are talking about everything they've seen in the Pensieve. Harry thinks about Neville and thinks he deserves sympathy more than he himself does, which is number one quite true because what happened to neville is in some ways a lot lot more Mm. tragic like it's both horrifically tragic situations but harry points out that he gets sympathy for being an orphan and neville doesn't because his parents are quote-unquote like alive even though they are not technically like themselves yeah it's also like a weirdly out of character selfless moment i feel like we say it's so we do get quite a bit of like character development for harry in this book just because we're getting more and more of these moments where it's like and then harry had a thought was about, about someone himself? else i said it's very rare to see harry feeling empathy for someone else we find out hermione is skipping revision to help harry practice which wow this must be important hermione is actively skipping I mean, revising for her fourth year exams he could die i know but it's but hermione at this point it's like harry's really grades get relieved but Hermione's don't. Yeah. I know. And they should, because she does all the fucking work. I know, I know. So they see Malfoy talking into his hand like mm-hmm. a walkie-talkie, and then that's kind of left, so that's like an interesting thing. And then suddenly it's the morning of the task, and there's a Daily Prophet front-page article about Harry's sanity. It reports about his scar hurting in divination, about him passing out, about him speaking Parseltongue, and the ends of the article questions whether Harry would use his... The dark arts to win the final yeah. task. It and also specifically says that Weeta ri- witnessed Harry it collapsing. Does. And they all like, but, but she didn't. She did. She was on the windowsill. No, no, but they're like, she didn't because they don't know she was on the windowsill. I know, but this is the point where, like, I suppose it was a lot going on that day, but Dumbledore should have been like, hold up. Yeah. There's something really weird going on here. Yeah. I guess he did have bigger fish to fish fry, to fry but... that day. But I don't think I ever realised until basically doing this podcast how essential this article is to the course of book five. Like, this is the setup for the entire plot in book five where Harry can't be trusted with information, where they think he might be on the side of the dark world, where they think he's stirring up trouble, where they think there's something wrong with him. And we know the book has set up how influential these articles are. We know the entire Wizarding World read them from how many letters Hermione received. We know that even Mrs. Weasley believed one of these articles. Like, we know how persuasive these articles are. And this article says that Harry might be mad, he might be dark, he might be attention-seeking. And... Literally a few hours later, Harry leaves the maze of the Triwizard Tournament with the dead body of another schoolchild. That's a really good point. If you were anyone else that was not a close friend of Harry's, you would believe this article. I would believe this article. I've never really put together in my brain how close these two events were because I always saw it as like, Rita did this because she was pissed off at at harry and then later on it's um the minister for magic that takes advantage of the fact that this article exists that probably wouldn't have been the biggest thing at the time and then kind of use that to build the narrative but you're right like when it's like because the chapters are so like there's so many chapters around this final event, you disassociate that it's one day, but yeah. from now to the end of the book is one day. Exactly, but you this literally does the article comes out the same day Harry comes out of the maze with Cedric's body. It is set up so perfectly that yeah. really like the government is very lucky that this happened because like it's not like Rita knew she just did this thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it perfectly aligns with the government like well trying to hide well it perfectly aligns basically on Voldemort's side yeah to help hide Voldemort because if I read an article now about a famous school child who was like mad or bad I might be like oh yeah this might be a bit harsh but oh whatever and then that evening he was holding the dead body of another student I would believe the article if I didn't know him. Mm-hmm. Like, it's such a clever setup for book five that isn't really like... They never in book five... They kind of say a line about like, oh, you know, Rita started it all last year, but they never really explicitly yeah. mention this article again and it's really mm-hmm. clever. So, Harry mentions bugging again. McGonagall comes to get Harry um, and says that the champion's... Oh, sorry, my auto I It says that the champion's familiar and I just completely <laughs> lost it. I was like... what What? they don't have familiars (laughs) this is not that kind of wizard family family so yes mcgonagall comes to get harry and says that the champions family is invited to come watch and they're waiting for him so harry is like really fucking confused like he's like, and the he's like, he's like you dick why are you why are you telling yeah, me this, this you know cruel. no one's there like what like why are you just rubbing it in and then he just kind of like isn't really doing a thing and he's just kind of dawdling because he's like this is just gonna be really fucking awkward yeah and then isn't it like fleur comes out cedric she, i think cedric and he's like what are you doing like they're waiting for you and harry's like the dursleys are Are never there yeah and then he goes in and the weasleys are there (laughs) i i honestly couldn't cope reading this bit like as an adult the fact that mrs weasley and bill are there and like the books have this really growing theme about i think people call it i think the theme in literature is found family i think that's what you call it and this is just the first time it's really like explicitly done and i'm just It's honestly and also like who invited them? Was it McGonagall? I bet it was McGonagall. I had questions about were the Dursleys invited? I'm guessing yes, because they couldn't not. And I feel like McGonagall is the kind of person that would have done it on principle. Oh yeah. She would have been like, I'm gonna invite them. And then was it when the Dursleys didn't reply or they like sent back a rude owl or something where she was like I'm going to invite Mrs. Weasley. And how do you phrase that? (laughs) It's so cute. We also get a really nice, like, tidbit here where, like, Fleur's eyeing up Bill. I love it. And I love this because I think that J.K. Rowling is not at times the best romance writer. A lot of her romance just kind of comes out of the blue and you're like, huh? What? Like even Harry and Ginny is built up a little bit but very much kind of within one book Mm. you can make arguments for it being like sprinkled in a little bit through other books but you could also just argue that that's just them interacting with each other Yeah. and then the thing that always pisses me off is Lupin and Tonks that just comes out that comes like a train out of nowhere just slaps you in the face and because the films leave so much out and then it's randomly in like the last film and it's like and now we've got a baby it's uh, like who where where? is it (laughs) even establishes that they're together so the films do it even worse but that at that point it's just hilarious and at that point you're like why bother including that line yeah you didn't have to include that line just don't don't include that they only included that i'm just ranting about the last film now sorry this is really off topic the only reason they include that line is so that they can then do the scene where both the dead bodies are together and be like oh look how sad but it's like it's not sad because you've only just did they have one night stand well what is the there context? is one scene in the sixth film where they're together at the burrow you know that time where it sets on fire yeah but it's still like and she says something about like the full moon is difficult for him but it's not explicit they're no. together she's just kind of touching him yeah exactly but like yeah <laughs> so i like i enjoyed this line i never realized it was there before but the fact that she for once is like foreshadowing a romance rather than just being like did you know these two characters want to bone? Yeah. Oh, you didn't know? Yeah, they're fucking... Oh, they've got a child now. And it's really nice because I think Fleur is painted as someone, like, all the boys fancy her in this book. And she's kind of seen as not leading boys along, but she's aware a lot of boys fancy her, and it's nice to see her, like, fancying... a guy and like it's bill who's a little bit more unconventional (laughs) exactly i was literally gonna like throw out that word like unconventional like he's kind of like a long-haired ginger (laughs) a bit of like a (laughs) wearing like dragon skin boots and an eerie like and i just like i love this for her especially because she's very much painted as like prim and proper a bit of a basic bitch yes and like, and I just, I love that of her so yeah. much, especially because it's like, I feel like she's painted as a basic bitch, not because of anything like that explicit in the text, but because of how we're like, we're just supposed to be like, she's a really pretty blonde girl. Yeah. So we're supposed to assume certain things of her and we do. And she goes to the Yule Ball with like Roger Davis, who's like the captain of the Quidditch team. Yeah. And like, she goes for that kind of, yeah, That we think she goes for that kind of guy, but No, she is Mm Batsy's Bill. I love it. I I love love it. Love this for her. I know. So Amos Diggory is a little bitch to Harry. He's like, (laughs) your fault. You didn't correct Reed Skeeter in that article. And Mrs. Weasley snaps at him, which go her. At lunch, Mrs. Weasley mentions that it's really lovely not having to cook for the family. Would somebody fucking cook for this woman the fact she mentions that it's so lovely to not cook I'm like does nobody ever cook for you there are so many of them so many it would not be that hard to like and I understand in the weeks when Arthur's at work she does the cooking but then the weekends the the weekends he should cook for you like get out the shed Arthur yeah and like the boys are all adults like older teenagers they could cook when they're home in summer for fuck's sake Mm -hmm. and then we wonder why Ron is a baby in book seven because he's never like he's never had to cook it's like but then we have this, like, rhetoric of blaming women for not making men do things, but then yeah. that's putting the blame on women where it should always al- also completely, if yeah. not more, be the, ma- it's the always, dad's It's always, whenever fault. you have, like, a um, mummy's boy, it's always like, oh, the mum mothered them too much. They were too, like... And you're just like, blame the... Blame the dad. <laughs> or, yeah, the dad. Or just just blame the, like, blame the person. It's like, you don't ever get someone being like, oh, the, the daughter's that way because the dad daddied her too much. Instead, you get... Like... Daddy issues, which always places the blame, blame on, on the, the woman again. On the woman, it's just whatever we can do to place the blame on the women. Yeah, we'll do it. We're just the worst. So Hermione turns up, and Mrs. Weasley, it turns out, is pissy at her because she believed the Rita Skeeter article where Hermione was playing it's off such Harry. Such a dick move that Ron never just wrote to be like. I cannot stand this that Ron never wrote to her, and it's Harry who has to tell her that the article was a lie. Yeah. I'm like, Ron, do better. <laughs> Ron, honestly, Ron's I just, suppose he's just like. The kind of age where he just doesn't think through like that thought process of helping someone else he's just a man it's task time it is the teachers are wearing stars on their hats and if you send out gold sparks because they're around the edge of the maze they will rescue you this is good safekeeping for the first time yep. in all the tasks we've got some safekeeping Let's have a conversation about how boring Task One, at Task Two and, and Three are three to watch. Unless, but then, then I think okay. So we know that the people watching the Quidditch pitch from the Quidditch pitch can't see inside the maze. But surely the stands are raised high enough because it's an airborne game that they would be able to. I guess. But then, how high are the hedges? Because twenty foot, you're not going to see down into them unless yeah, you're literally unless you're so high. Yeah, I suppose it's seeing above up. and over. Yeah, and then you're not gonna see any detailing but maybe there's like magical screens to show like Uh, But we know they can't because Moody was blasting objects out the way. And embarrassing people. So we 100% know they could not see inside those hedges. It's a fucking boring task. They're just watching bushes. And they're not just watching bushes. This task was probably meant to take like an hour and a half, two hours. What happens in the next few chapters in the graveyard takes at least another hour, if not a couple more. Plus all the other shenanigans. They must be sitting there for three to four hours just hours. staring at bushes i'm gonna talk about this when they arrive back in a few chapters like but like can you imagine the tension when you realize it's gone on too long and like fleur and crumb have come out the maze injured like yeah you like at that point you must know something's not right yeah and it probably adds to it as well it's the fact that that article comes out in the morning and then they all go in and then fleur and crumb come out injured. and then there's yeah and then there's like a hour or two wait and just harry and cedric are in there and probably the teachers are panicked and everyone knows that they should have come out by now no one can find them in the maze and at this point you're like where are they what's happened and then they just appear out of the maze with cedric dead i think we'll talk about it more when we get to that chapter because this is one of the things where i think the film did the most impeccable job it's one of my favorite most horrifying scenes of the film but anyway we'll get to it So good safekeeping. Good. The teachers are there to actually help for once. We go back over the points system. The points mean that they all enter the maze slightly different times. So the first two tasks accounted for a five minute advantage. Ridiculous. No. No. And then they're still talking about... He's still saying the first one to touch the cup gets full marks. But the winner is the person that touches the cup. It's like... which one is it? Which one? Because technically, if Fleur got full marks, would she win? Because we know. don't know what marks the yeah. others would. It makes no sense. They go into the mates, just like Quidditch. Harry doesn't come across many obstacles, no. which he finds he specifically weird. notices it, which is, again, weirdly observant for him. Yeah, and it's good that he notices, because he does run into a few, and I suppose just as the reader you'd think, oh, that's the right amount, but he's weirded out at how few he comes across. He's he a dementor, but he works out it's a boggart. He deals with it like a boss. We can see how far he's come in a book. He comes across a mist and he hears a scream. He recognises it as Fleur's and on impulse wants to save her. So he runs through the mist and it turns him upside down. And this is a really good obstacle. Because when I think of magical obstacles, I do just think of like creatures mm. or like... I mostly think of creatures. But like this is really clever. Like I like yeah. it. And he essentially just like... He doesn't do anything. He just kind of thinks his way out of it. Which yeah. I quite like that it's almost like, I guess like an eye teaser but not but mm. it's that kind of it's me- it's there to make you panic there to make them see how yeah. they deal with panic so he ends up the mist turns him upside down and he has to lift his foot and then he's fine and then he gets there's this really weird bit where although he's kind of worried about fleur screaming he gets this odd flash of pleasure because fleur might be out the running Mm. And I didn't really notice it the other times I've read it and it's it's not like pleasure but he just he says he can't help thinking one down and I'm yeah. like I know the films do this thing where like the hedges turn you against each other and that isn't done in the books but this thought from Harry kind of and there's that the, obviously there's the moments later on where Harry and Cedric are having to choose between going for the cup or helping each other and there's like they're talking about like their eyes changing colour and it does kind of make you think the hedges aren't doing it but something about being in the maze creates this atmosphere yeah. where they can't help pitting themselves against each other yeah. but it also just annoys me that once again it's like and Fleur's just out a just, couple of minutes in screamed just she, gone just I love just how screaming. Harry's like but he's also like, she screamed, oh, she's out. Why? She could have just got scared. I scream at yeah. spiders. It doesn't mean I'm out the running. It just means I'm freaked out. Leave yeah. me alone. She could have seen a shadow. I would scream at that. Yeah, she could have seen that fucking 10-foot spider then dealt with it. Like, fuck off, Harry. Exactly. You're allowed to scream. So 10 minutes later, he meets a blast-ended scroot. They're now 10 feet long. Do you know how long 10 feet is? Well, yeah, because I'm 5'7", it's- so... It's quite long it's quite big so he gets away and in the next path he hears Crum crucioing Cedric mhm Harry forces his way through St- I wrote he stuns Cedric I didn't mean that but clearly I meant Crum. this annoys me why because he just goes through a hedge and he like blasts his way through admittedly it's not a fun experience he does have to like burn a hole and kick and rip his robes to shreds but you're saying you could have just done that all the way through. Yeah. And it would be fun, but also, like, neither are the obstacles. <laughs> but you could literally just, like, blast your way through. But what all if the you heart- were, like, trying to blast your way through, wasn't looking at what was behind you, and, like, a, something ripped your back off, like, a screw ate your back? It's a good point, though. It's yeah. a good point. It doesn't always take you, you so long to, like, do each hedge. It would be quicker to just run the long way, maybe. I don't I, know. Yeah, but you could go around it then when you are found your block to just blast your way through. You don't have to do every fucking hedge. But just Just like one straight line. If you know that you need to turn left and your way's blocked, just blast it and then just keep going. Yeah. It's true. So this all happens really fast and it's really shocking because I think as the reader we do trust Cram. Like we never really thought that he could be a bad guy. Yeah. And we obviously don't know he's imperious at this point, so it's just kind of like, at this point, I do think you get the sense that the the maze is turning them against each other because you're like, Crumb, really like what? Yeah, exactly. Like I love Crumb, I just do. Like I do. yeah, he might be a bit of a pedo, but but it's horrid that this happens to him because we don't really get. I think he gets like one more line right at the end of the books, but yeah, kind of horrible. They send up red sparks. Crumb's now out the running. They head back into the maze, and he comes across my favourite obstacle, a sphinx. Yeah. We like this. We do. You talk about it. So he comes across a Sphinx. Sphinx? sphinx 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 he comes across some spanks spanks he has to get into the bridget Spanx Spanx jones spanks <laughs> yeah <laughs> he has to defeat bridget jones's spanks that has a riddle for him we love this riddle we used this in our quiz for Drake. we did which i think every single person got right but it was still so cute to do yeah um, uh, something that i was wondering that i think is definitely just me reading into things but also i would like to flag like is it intentional that the answer is like spider and then part of it is spy it just seems very like there's a spy in this entire thing and then it's like oh like i at it's one it's intentional point... that the sphinx know but i think jk but... rowling might have liked it yeah, because it, it... It... <laughs> it's a person it's not just a spy it's a person in disguise exactly and he guesses imposter and then he's like, imposter, spice by spy, spy. And they call Moody the imposter. The chapter is called The Imposter, isn't it? Or something like that. Probably, yeah. But yeah, to me, I was just like, hmm. This oh, I is, like uh, that. This is flavoursome. Do you think without reading the book, because the problem is like we read this when we were so young, you could solve this riddle like now because obviously like i've read it so many times i know how harry sold it but it's actually it's i've got n- no clue but the like the spy bit is relatively easy but the middle of middle end of end bit is really difficult and then the sound often used in a hard to find word there's like uh um there's like a lot of words yeah a lot of sounds i don't know i think it's impossible to be objective about but yeah i did put the, the sphinx actually seems quite nice She seems like a nice lady yeah really friendly i'd be a friend yeah harry is then amazed at his own brilliance. I I literally wrote the quotation for amazed at his own brilliance. Fuck off, Harry. Like... He's so cute. I don't think... That riddle is that hard. I, it's impossible to be objective, but I don't think it's that hard. I I think he's just so sort of like, this is not me. I'm not a mind person. Hermione's the mind Hermione person. the thinks for me. <laughs> yeah, I love it. So after a few more corners, he sees the cup. However, Cedric appears ahead of him on the path. And okay, so this is something interesting. We know at the end of the book that Harry has had obstacles being blasted out his way his entire time. Mm-hmm. Cedric hasn't, which means I really... I I actually hate talking about this because it's so tragic, but Cedric was better than Harry. Of course he was. He was so much older. But just so much like... Yeah, he was just better at it because Harry was having obstacles blasted out the way. Cedric wasn't. And Cedric got there at the same time, if not first. Yeah. But he is older, so it does make sense. But yeah, like Cedric is obviously a very talented wizard. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's very sad. (laughs) So a huge spider appears in the... Path next to them. And Harry yells for Cedric to move because Cedric is about to run into the spider without even noticing. Cedric gets out of the way, but he's still chasing after Cedric. So Harry yells and throws a spell. So the spider chases Harry. Harry uses Expelliarmus. Harry's picked up by the spider. He uses Expelliarmus. It doesn't work. Cedric comes to help him, and they together defeat the spider. So it's like, because there's a moment where Cedric could continue to run for the cup because Harry's helped him, and like there's this, there's like a lot of moments where they have to choose, yeah, what to do to help where each be other. Shitheads. Yeah. So they defeat the spiders together, and then they begin to argue about the cup, and I found this so painful to read in hindsight because if Harry had chosen to be the selfish person to say, okay, fine, I told you about, I I just saved you from the spider. I told you about the dragons. I'm going to take the cup. Cedric would have lived Mm -hmm. if Harry had chosen to be selfish. If Cedric had chosen to be selfish, he probably would have died. But Voldemort would never... He would have returned, but he wouldn't have returned now in this moment. And also, they never would have found Cedric's body. Yeah, he just would have gone missing. Yeah. So he would have died, but Voldemort may not have returned. I mean, he probably he, he wouldn't have returned that night. He would yeah. have found a way to return, but Cedric would have gone missing forever and just be like gone. And also, like, but Voldemort might have returned. He might use Cedric, but might then just be Cedric. weaker. Yeah. Because he wouldn't be able but to but touch then, Harry. Not weaker, because the catalyst for book seven mm. and this is something which I'm going to talk about in the next few chapters. I still don't fully understand the blood magic and I'm so excited to get to Deathly Hallows and reread it because I can't quite remember it. It's just really tragic when you think about that Harry is trying to be noble and in being noble, kills Cedric. Obviously, he doesn't kill Cedric, but... Oh, it's horrible. It's really horrible to think about. So they decide to grab the cup together, which is the obvious answer to their argument. When they're, like, arguing about all this, it's so clear what they have to do. But also, (laughs) there is no way to grab it at the same time. Someone, but someone's if it's a port key, whereas literally you touch it and it instantly goes, Mm. there is someone will come into contact with it first, even if if it's by like such a split second. I suppose I whether it's instantaneous or it does have like a half second delay, exactly. But But if it's it's literally instantaneous, there's just no way. So they grab the port key, they grab the cut together, and it's a port key, and um. Why does it leave without having a specific time? So I'm trying to remember what we've been told about Porky's. Are we we're told it's always a specific? Yes. <laughs> are we told that? Like because we're told that in relation to the World Cup. Yeah, yeah. So maybe there are different types. Well, this is what it says on Pottermore, but I feel like it says that the only instance we see this. Then I don't know. I'm. <sighs> I am open to the interpretation that there's just different types of portkey, because I guess you do need ones that are like a bus where it comes and goes either way, like for forever. Mm. And then there's ones where you need it to be like, this goes like a train at like a certain time. I know buses are supposed to go at certain times, but but you live in London. They don't. (laughs) No, they don't. Uh, yeah it's just it's just a bit annoying that she used this book to set porkies up with a specific set of rules that were different yep. to the rules she then used at the end of exactly. the book exactly she very that's obvious. what annoys me about yeah. it she could have said when she was first explaining them like there's different kinds of porkies but this one does this exactly it's the fact she was like and it leaves and she so explicitly stated it at the beginning of the book like we have to be there at 5 42 yeah and now it just leaves when you touch it Chapter 32 Flesh, Blood and Bone. Hot. Exciting. So they land in a graveyard, clearly somewhere far away because the mountains have gone. This is terrifying for the reader, and I kind of realised why. Because obviously it's scary because, like, ooh, graveyard. But this is the The climax of the first three books have never left Hogwarts grounds. They always happen within the grounds. Mm. You're under the school, you're in the grounds of the school. This has left Hogwarts grounds and explicitly stated they're far away from Hogwarts. So it adds this immediate fear to the reader of being like, but someone can't just come to help. Where is help? Yeah, and also like, how do they get back? Because I guess that is at least the only advantage of how little we know about Portkeys is that if we knew, if, like, it had said early on, oh, or there's other kinds where you just touch it and then if you touch it again, it goes back, we'd be like, oh, okay, cool, he's about to touch it again. But Harry literally, within this chapter, and within one of the coming chapters, and we'll talk about it, comes to terms with the fact that he's going to die. Yeah. Because even he doesn't realise that he can just touch the port key again. Yeah. So I think it does add that suspense as the reader that we just we literally think he's trapped there because even if somehow he manages to get away... Where's, where's he, he gonna going? go he's just in like a random muggle village like he would where's he he would literally have to just run At and run and run and run he and run. thinks he's begging for the police to come like the muggle police which we'll go into <laughs> uh but yeah like it is terrifying because we do believe that he's trapped so i guess maybe that is one reason why the portkey isn't actually explained earlier on because yeah. then we would just to come be to terms with it yeah because i i like this this chapter because normally when you read this kind of thing you're like oh but he's the main character and he's not gonna die and we know how and he's gonna get the first out of this three, we always thought but it's in the school so like obviously there was always like Dumbledore has been sent away but like there was always this thing of like someone will come someone will find yeah. them you know Fork shows up Dumbledore shows yeah. up Lupin shows up this one it's like no one can show yeah. up but literally, yeah, as far as we know, he is stuck in this random, yeah. like, muggle village. Like, if you think about, like, the village you're from, and if you just got transported there as a wizard, like, how would you ever... No, you're it's in the middle of nowhere, it can't go anywhere. So literally, even if you, like, you would have to be able to run, like, where I'm from for, like, an hour. Yeah, you would, you would have to run solidly for an hour to even find, like, the nearest bigger muggle civilization. Yeah. The really tragic thing is they, they think it might be part of the task. Mm. Because... They were told to expect the unexpected and all of this. So part of them thinks it could be the task. And then Harry sees a figure. A small man carrying what looks like a baby. Yep. His scar hurts. Yep. A voice says, kill the the spare. And then he hears someone cast a vada cadaver. And then hears someone fall to the ground and it's Cedric. So the thing is, he doesn't even see it properly like he does see it and we know he sees it but he's in so much pain I didn't really realise that Harry was lying on the floor in pain during this I kind of thought he stood and witnessed it but he's lying on the floor in pain and it's suddenly like the chapter's moving quite slowly and then this happens so fast Harry's scar explodes kill the kill the spare is the most horrifying sentence Mm -hmm. that's a human being Mm -hmm. I feel like it's quite memed but when you do actually think about it you're like oh shit yeah he could have just said like Kill the other one, kill the other boy. It's the use of the word spare. Kill the hottie. Kill the fitty. Yeah. Not to sexualise dead Cedric. But uh, um, he's 18, it's fine. It's, yeah, I had a question. <laughs> I was trying to think is this our first Harry Potter death that isn't like a character like uh, obviously um, Quirrell dies? Yes. Yeah, so but... I had written this is the first goody death yeah i suppose on. i thought it was but i was trying to think i think it's our first on page properly written out as well because quirrell kind of dies behind the scenes yeah yeah exactly yeah so i basically wrote like this is our first proper death and in two sentences these books go from a children's book to an adult's book because we always know that the last three books are incredibly adult they're no longer children's book but the beginning of this book does still have some even though it's longer does still have some of those elements of the first three books and it's right here in this chapter where you just it just flips shit gets real i feel like we always say this we're like this is the book this is is a moment where shit shit gets gets real real. shit just gets real and then it gets more real and even more real and more real and more it's a continuous thing this is the most realist real yeah yeah, so... Um, oh, t- there's a line. That's a line. Uh, <sighs> this is such an amazing explanation of the moment where something horrifying happens for a moment that contained an eternity. Uh, it's such a de- good description of when it's it's another way of describing when something happens in slow motion or when you watch something that yeah. your brain because when your brain can't process something that's sometimes why you see it happening slowly isn't it because your brain is trying to process more than it normally does and mm. this is just such a good way of describing it and it broke my heart oh. yeah so Wormtail ties Harry up there's a bundle of robes and the snake is slithering about what Wormtail starts to prepare a potion and opens the robes to something with the shape of a crouched human child hairless, scaly, dark, raw, reddish black, thin and feeble, fl- with a flat snake-like face. Literally, I never described anything more horrifying in yeah. my life. I've never really taken in that description before because i read it so young and then I kind of listened to the audiobook and I don't pay attention. Yeah actually kind of taking the time to like rewrite that out to really process it and imagine it it is horrifying it is it It sounds like horrific you know those like religious like activists that are like this is what your abortion looks like no but at one point wasn't there like i can't remember if it was a meme or real of like this is what your abortion looks like and it was literally because it's the same flayed scab baby image that they use in book seven when it's the piece of the soul in the train station scene and in the film they use that image to be like this is what your baby looks like yeah it is really interesting that that this does kind of come up again like the same imagery like yeah. after he's like properly defeated this is kind of how he's represented yeah um but yeah that is a brutal description it's pretty horrifying and we will get into in the next few chapters the um modern theory about why he has this small baby child form oh fun do you not remember why we're talking about this no oh you're in for a ride, oh, wild ride God. i had a note that the film really did do this justice the film did it none of this justice no nope. no nope. so wormtail yeets the little dead baby thing into the cauldron what <laughs> he puts in bone of the father oh yeah it's important to note harry's tied to tom riddle's grave yeah is this the first time we've heard the name tom riddle yes i think so maybe yeah yeah and then he puts in his own fucking hand right first off it says flesh of the servant why his whole hand could have been a finger could have been a finger why your whole could fucking? could have been hand? like if he'd grazed his knee and then had a scab he could have picked off that scab and then it just says flesh my second question is You've got some pretty big arteries where your arm joins your hand. Like, they're pretty big, important ones. If you cut off your hands, you don't... How does he live till Voldemort gives him that new hand? Like, I'm calling bullshit on that. Yeah, it's a bit It's a question. He's like, he wraps it in his cloak. I'm like, he's carrying on, like, taking Harry's blood. I think you die pretty quickly if you cut off your hand. Surely, like... Because he doesn't do it with a wand where he might, like, cauterise the veins slightly. Unless arteries. he, like, cuts it quite high up. I mean, maybe you live for longer than I think. Because I can get, like, if you kind of cut around your wrist... Well, exactly, that's what I'm gutter. thinking, like... But if it was slightly more high up, surely there's nothing that important in your hand. So the last part is taking Harry's blood. So the spell says blood of the enemy, but this was Voldemort's obsession that he Mm. wanted Harry's blood. And this is where I'm really, really, really excited to read book seven because I think I've always, not skimmed over, but I think I've always been a little bit confused by the blood magic and Voldemort taking Harry's blood, which is Lily's protection. And it's kind of all mixed in with the Deathly Hallows and the Horcruxes, and all this other stuff. And I've always just been like, whoa. So I'm really excited to like remember this moment and then revisit it in Deathly Hallows. Mm-hmm. So then, bubbling, bubbling, a man rises from the cauldron. He says, robe me, which brought me to the realisation that he is... Naked. naked. His butt's just fisting Harry. I wonder how big his dick is. Small and shriveled. Mm. I mean, Cursed Child wants us to believe that he had sex with Bellatrix, but I don't think Voldemort needs or wants sex. I see him as someone who does not require or need that. He's asexual. I see him as asexual. Not in the way, like, I didn't want to say that because there's this, like... Misconception and like trope, I think, about like asexual and like evil, evil. people like don't understand it properly, yeah. and it's not that. But I just think Voldemort is not someone who does feel any of that kind of emotion. No, you just can't imagine him getting boner, can you? No, like that's the whole- how pale his dick would be. What it would be like one of those like gray toned dicks where like you're a just worm. <clears throat> <clears throat> anyway, throat> that's the end of the chapter. <sighs> I forgot that the entire of the maze was in one chapter. I thought it was spread across two. Yeah. It's also very long. And then the actual like Voldy coming back bit is like... I think it was really difficult for her to split up the gravestone thing because then the next two chapters are they're like long yeah. and short again i think she was just like i don't know where to cut it i'm cutting it here mm-hmm. that was a journey oh cedric can we raise a glass Ra- right pull one out <laughs> pull <Pour> one out <laughs> we're not get- we don't waste booze in this house oh my god what if in book seven we have to pour one out every time <gasps> every death we have to pour one out that's a waste of booze every death we have to take a shot okay so what are we shotting go find I meant in book seven, but fuck. Okay. Every death from... This is the first death we just said. New rule. No. I love adding new rules. I hate that we do this. <laughs> I love adding new rules. It's like when we joked about going to Albania and now we're doing that. You love that we're doing that. Can oh, I point yeah. out, also, we have to do this because we never accidentally said goblet of wine instead of a goblet of fire. We still have time. Do we? Oh, God. Book seven's going to be a shot every chapter if we have to do it every time someone dies. When I say someone, by the way, I mean like a named proper character. Cool. To Cedric. To Cedric. <laughs> oh. oh. <Miss> you said. <laughs> Why do we make new rules? <laughs> I don't know, but book seven's going to be fun. The la- That chapter. We need to decide what counts as a death, like a character death. It can't be someone we've just met. Okay, here's the rule. can't be someone we've just met that chapter. It has to be a character. Yeah. Oh my God, what about the Battle of Hogwarts? No, but that's what I meant by that chapter. (laughs) When you then get the scene where it's just all of the bodies lined up and it's like, by the way, these different eight people all just died. There you go. You guys have got that to look forward to. (laughs) Okay, here we go. So today we have a question from Samuel. If you are a $10 or above Patreon, you get to ask this question at the end of the episode. If Petunia Dursley had not stopped herself... What would she have said to Harry before leaving number four Privet Drive in Deathly Hallows? Do you believe that she and Harry would have reconnected, and there's two questions, Would you, do you believe that she and Harry would have reconnected after Voldemort's death? Okay, so what would she have said to Harry at Deathly Hallows? I think she would have said something like, you remind me of Lily. I think she would have said, I can't remember if I turned the oven off. <laughs> <laughs> Can you please check? Might have left the tap on upstairs. (laughs) I can't remember. This is going to really annoy me. I think I left my hair straighteners on. Would you just mind? (laughs) Do you want to give a serious answer? That was it. That was it. Okay, I think she would have said something like... Or something like your mother would have been proud. I think she just would have properly said goodbye. I don't think she would have gone that far to say like, oh, Lily would have been proud. But like, I just actually think she would have been like... It's been nice. Mm, like, I don't, or maybe apologized. I don't think it was apology. I think it was something about Lily. I think she was thinking of Lily in that moment, personally. Okay. But I like was... the apology as well because that would have been nice. Yeah. Do you th- believe that she and Harry would have reconnected after Voldemort was defeated? I truly believe that Harry reconnected with Dudley. Yeah. I think him and Vernon were 100% too far gone, and therefore he wouldn't have really. I think he would have been civil for till to Petunia, but I don't think they would have reconnected. I like to think that Petunia left Vernon and then both You her said they were the greatest love story of all time. They are, but they're also both horrible abusers. Well, yes. They're abusive towards Dudley as well. Well, yes. But yeah, I like to think that despite them being the greatest love I stand by that, that she left him. Mm. I'd like to so I think that Harry reunites with Dudley. Dudley. And I think that makes Petunia think. Yeah, um, and then I think that I think her and Harry kind of reunite through that. I think that Harry reconnects with Dudley, and then not long after that, Vernon dies of heart. <laughs> Probably because he's not the healthiest of no. men, and then Petunia in her. Softer years, and because Vernon, because Dudley has reconnected and Vernon's gone, Yeah. does somewhat reconnect with Harry. I don't think they ever get on in like a family sense, but yeah. I think Harry comes to a place where he, he forgives her. Yeah. Because I, I just think, I think, I don't think Bettina, I just think that Vernon's quite bad for her in that respect. Yeah, I, I do. think that she at times would have had more moments of not weakness, if anything, of strength where she has kind of that more like humanity to her but i always think that like kind of vernon being there stops her like yeah. having those moments yeah okay we agree apart from they separate and they die in my head yeah but, yeah i really like to think of harry and dudley connecting though I yeah think that's like, quite important in my post potter canon yeah i i full-on have the headcanon dudley definitely has a wizard child i like that headcanon yeah. a lot. i think that was like a big thing in like the first year after potter finished yeah and, um yeah i like it a lot mm-hmm Ah, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. This was a heavy... And, like, I kind of forgot how... (laughs) Just waving in the next episode, bitch. Uh, No, but the climax of the book is, like, seven, eight chapters long. Like, we've got a lot of... Yeah. I don't feel like we did that many funnies this episode. And I think in book two, do you remember when we got to the end of the book and we were worried we hadn't done that many funnies? And now Mm. this is, like, eight chapters of not many funnies. But it's such good shit. Like... Yeah. It's so setting up some really important stuff. Yeah, I would say that we need to get more drunk for episodes, but we do literally spend most of the day drinking yeah, before we, have we record. Like and two then two beers. Then we recorded two bonus episodes where we had a drink. Then we ate some food and a drink. We just did a shot shot for Cedric. Like basically, guys, we got high tolerance for alcohol. We're, genuinely, it's got so much worse. Maybe the shots will help. We're, we just need more characters. Still, to Battle die. of Hogwarts is going to be like shots, but... shots, 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 shots. That will be like probably our last or second to last episode. So we'll be wanting to be drunk anyway. We'll be so sad. Oh, I don't know. You've actually just made me really upset. J.K. Write more books. No, don't. no, don't. <laughs> okay, we should go. We should go before we get reminiscent. Right. We will Bye, see you guys. guys in the next episode. Bye. Love you. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of goblet of wine to find us on social media search at goblet of wine pod on twitter or at goblet of wine podcast on instagram we also have a website over at www.gobletofwine.co.uk where you can keep up with everything that we do this podcast is produced by our wonderful hufflepuff tier patrons veronica sydney sandra samuel redbeard mutterlib mike katie